Body probe Zulu 174 is ready for boarding in bay number one. Mr. Walt Disney. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. My knees are knocking together so hard they sound like a riveting machine. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. There are those who see Norway's spirit veil in a land of forests and mystery. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to WDW Radio on your internet dial. <laughs> Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 667, and together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video, community, audio tours, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. We're going to take a detailed look at Tomorrowland and Walt Disney World, including its original theme, intent, and feel, as well as its evolution and changes, and what the future holds for this futuristic-ish land. We're also going to celebrate 15 years of the show with 15 moments from 15 years of WW Radio. I'll then have our Disney trivia question of the week, more updates, and your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. While every land in Magic Kingdom is unique, I think that none has the most interesting history and maybe even controversial development than Tomorrowland. I think the land is almost blessed and cursed by its name, and it is a land that's also, while closely tied to Walt, has not only undergone a, a myriad of changes over the years, but I think continues to be surrounded by speculation and conversation. And so this week, we're going to look at the intriguing and fascinating past, present, and future of Tomorrowland. And joining me again this week, you may remember her from such shows as the Disney MGM backlot and Burbank that never was, back on show 589, the unbuilt Disney parks of 588, things you cannot believe ever happened in Walt Disney World, part one and part deux, so 603 and 604, and the unrealized Walt Disney World attractions back on 632, 633. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Kendall Foreman. Kendall, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on again. This should be an interesting conversation. I think it's one that a lot of us as Disney fans, and in particular Walt Disney World fans, have either had or are having or just wish we could have with a fellow Disney fan because Tomorrowland is kind of a conundrum. It is, and I think this is a great idea and a great sort of way to, to frame the topic because I think Tomorrowland has had a very interesting, not just origin, in it in in with Walt and Disneyland, which I think we'll we'll touch on, but its progression over the years I think is unlike any of the other lands in Magic Kingdom because it did sort of go in not just with a specific design aesthetic, but 
changes in storyline, radical changes in the attractions that have come and gone through there. And I think the most intriguing and and potentially even, and I say controversial in air quotes, but controversial future because of what sentimentalists and nostalgics think Tomorrowland should be and what other people might want to see come in in the future. Yeah, definitely. You hear a lot of conversation about about what that future should be. And then also just like you say, sentimentalism going all the way back to Walt and that opening dedication speech, you know, the, just the line within the dedication of Disneyland where, you know, the youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. And, and then the actual opening dedication for Tomorrowland where he specifically says tomorrow offers new frontiers in science, adventure and ideals. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about the ways that that was met perhaps in Disneyland and, and somewhat in Walt Disney world. And then the ways where maybe today can that really still be met in an ongoing, you know, constantly rapidly changing future. Yeah. And I think this topic has the potential for being a very long conversation, which I promise we're going to try not to do. And we're not going to really look at the in, every single individual attraction and the evolution of each. Uh, I do, shameless plug alert, I do a very detailed look at the origins of each and the land itself in the audio tour for Tomorrowland, which you can find on Apple Music. You can find at the shop at www.radio.com. But instead, I think we would look at the genesis of Tomorrowland, specifically in Walt Disney World, including that original theme and feel and intent, that evolution, how it's changed and what the future holds. And I'm and I'm happy you started with Walt because it really is where we need to start. And, and the fact that you mentioned that Tomorrowland dedication, he talks about this vista into a world of wondrous ideas, talking about man's achievements, the challenge of outer space, the hope for a peaceful, unified world, which I love and it gives us all the warm and fuzzies, but definitely doesn't necessarily feel, you know, we don't necessarily feel that in Tomorrowland. But but touching back to Walt and, and Walt's lingering or maybe not so much lingering handprint on the land, Walt was always not just fascinated by technological advances, but the future as a whole, and not in a science fiction type of way, even though, you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon growing up was becoming very, very popular. Um, and it's certainly in leading into the 50s with alien creatures and rocket ships and, you know, all the different, <laughs> the, the exploration of space and all the aliens that were coming down. But Walt really wanted this science factual view of the future as opposed to science fiction it even we talked about uh, on a previous show walt disney in space i don't remember the, the number off the top of my head but it was about bringing facts of science onto tv um, working with with scientists and talking about the the possibilities of the future and for space travel and medicine and satellites and and even entertaining entertainment, but it wasn't just about entertaining his viewers, it was about educating them as well. Yeah, one of the thing that, things that I think is interesting about the lands of Disneyland 
is that Frontierland is clearly a product of a very popular genre at that time. And Fantasyland also a product of the popularity of the genre of animated films. But then you have Main Street USA and Tomorrowland that very clearly were personal for Walt. I mean, personal from his history and personal for what he wanted for his future. And I, I agree with you in that opening day special, if you go back and watch, which I absolutely love watching the Tomorrowland section of that because it's so endearing. There's so many missteps and miscues. But um, in that, they say specifically, I think it's Art Linkletter that says it, that this is not a stylized version of the future. That yeah, like you said, yes, there was the, you know, the Buck Rogers rocket and, and things like that. But I believe really what Walt's direction was, was just those baby steps towards what he was heading toward with his larger idea of Epcot. That this is my, you know, toes in the water of presenting this brighter, beautiful future when we work together and what we're capable of and bringing together, you know, people from the business world, you know, whether that's Monsanto or, or Crane or Dutch Boy or, you know, any of the others who were sponsors, you see more of that in Tomorrowland than you do in any of the other lands. Right, because it wasn't about going to space and shooting aliens like Buzz Wright, Lightyear, Space Ranger, Spin. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it really was like places like Fantasyland. He wanted this place where you as a guest could enter into this three-dimensional, living, breathing, immersive and interactive, words back in the 50s that we use now today, participatory experience in the future. He wanted this to be a, a, a blueprint, a, a, blue, a blueprint of the future that I think was not set in stone, but was sort of written in pencil because it would be very dynamic and ever-changing. And and even going back to the Tomorrowland of Disneyland, he and his Imagineers imagined this land to be a city of the future in 1986, which is crazy to think <laughs> about. Um, but in, in the 1950s mindset, it was when we were going to be going to the moon and robotics would be part of our everyday life. And I think the the vision of the future um, that involved rockets was not necessarily a fanciful one, but a future forward thinking one. And that, you know, that googie tile style of architecture and that sensation of motions and the different types of materials that were used were a vision of the, the factual future, not a fanciful future. Yeah, definitely. And and I think it's interesting, too, to look at some of the attractions that were present there, you know, outside of those ones that were meant to introduce guests to to actual factual things of the, the very near future. Um, but, you know, like I mentioned, like the Hall of Chemistry and the House of the Future and um but also just something that to us looking back today does not seem like a future thing, the Skyway, when that comes around, not opening day of Disneyland, but then, you know, what year was that? Uh, in the, was it 65 or, yeah, um, or no, 56, I guess. Um, 
that to us looking back, that does not seem like something in the future. That's a technology that existed for hundreds of years prior to Disneyland's opening. But in Walt's mind, that was a possibly, you know, clean version of transportation, which then you look to today and it, it it's something that Disney World implemented mm-hmm. as an efficient, modern version of transportation. And it's just interesting to see, you know, Walt was taking things that maybe, you know, didn't seem futuristic even in the moment, but they were future thinking. They were forward thinking in their use. Right. Disneyland's tomorrow wasn't about flying saucers and spaceships. It was about a flight to the, a potential simulation of a flight to the moon based on where he believed real world technology was going. The, futuristic-ish highways of tomorrow in the Autopia. All those things were meant to sort of simulate a real-world future. And I think, without sort of jumping too far ahead, but sort of to put a pin in this for later, I think Tomorrowland, overall, is the land that sort of misses Walt the most, right? If you look at all the little lands specifically even here in Walt Disney World, and the changes and the evolution of each, most have not really gone far off of where they originated, whether it is Fantasyland, Frontierland, whatever it might be. Tomorrowland, like the Autopia, full of twists and turns, has changed shape and size a a few different times. And as opposed to the Disneyland version of Tomorrowland would open, when Walt Disney World's opened, I think that missing of Walt was evident, not just in what was there and what was not there, but even of what the vision of the land was. And I always love, you know, playing trivia with people and asking people, what were the only two? Remember, there was only two opening day attractions in Tomorrowland and Walt Disney World. And they're all like, oh, that's easy. It's Space Mountain. It's Flight to the Moon. Oh, I know. It's Mission to... And I'm like, no, it's the Skyway, which is, not, like you said, not very futuristic or forward-thinking, right? It's it's more of a conveyance that's been around for decades. And the Grand Prix Raceway, which was not designed as a futuristic utopia but really sort of grounded on on this idea of an international race car race. I really believe, Kendall, from day one, Tomorrowland has and continues to have an identity crisis. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you look at 1971 and you could almost make the argument that it would have been more aptly named Todayland (laughs) because – I mean, you had the Autopia was a new thing. Interstates were a new thing when Disneyland opened. And I'm sure the thought process was to carry over a very popular attraction that had already had its development finished. You know, I mean, let's face it. My son, the first time we took him to Disney World, he wanted he had three things he wanted to do. See pirates, see tiki birds and ride in a red car, drive a red car on the speedway. I mean, every kid wants to do it. So I think had they not brought it over there might've been some outcry, you know, where, where are the cars that my kid can drive? Um, but yeah, with that and the Skyway, and even once flight to the moon opens later that year, we've already stepped on the moon. Mm-hmm. 
by the time that is a thing. And even once they shift that to being mission to Mars in 1975, it's literally less than a year later when we get pictures back from Viking one of Mars. I mean, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think even more than Disneyland, Disney World's, like you said, it suffers from the lack of that, that optimist, futuristic vision that Walt had. And, and perhaps just from carrying over, you know, a lot of Disneyland to Disney World. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you look at the original premise for the Florida project, you know, clearly Walt mentions a theme park, but clearly that was not his main driver for the Florida project. I mean, what he wanted was Epcot, you know, the the full realization of Tomorrowland. And without that being what existed and without Walt, you you get kind of the today land version of Tomorrowland. And so maybe and I, and I don't you bring up a good point which I never I've never thought of before and I'll sort of talk it out as it comes to mind, but maybe that's permission or an excuse we can give to Tomorrowland in that the Imagineers were so focused on the Epcot part of the project and that being the showcase for current and future technologies that deciding what should or should not go into Tomorrowland, what the theme and the intent of Tomorrowland should be maybe is what predicated the fact that there was, look, when you walked into Tomorrowland in October even early November of 1971, the future the future hasn't arrived today. The future looked very bleak. It looked very sparse. It looked very incomplete. And I think it looked very cold and sterile. And I'll post a picture in the show notes at www.radio.com and I'll post it on my Instagram too. When you walked in, there were these large, white, monolithic towers that had... <laughs> water would sometimes be on and off and as you walked through there were two empty show buildings on either side and nothing in front of you there was no rocket tower plaza yet there was no space mountain there was no carousel of progress so there wasn't a lot to do or see there and even as it started to evolve on an immediate basis Like you said, the first two attractions to come in were Flight to the Moon in December. Merry Christmas. There's your Christmas present. But earlier, America the Beautiful opened. So where Monsters, Inc. Laflore currently sits was America the Beautiful. Again, love the show. It's a wonderful, beautiful Circle Vision 360 travelogue. But it has nothing necessarily to do with the namesake of the land in which it sits. Yeah, and I just have to say with the two um, the two big monoliths, I, I do find those very interesting when I look back at pictures because I am fairly certain those were still there the first time I, I visited Walt Disney World, probably the first two times that I visited. So I'm surprised they don't stick out in my memory as having experienced them in person. But whenever I look at a picture, whenever I look at photos of them, the first thing that comes to mind is the um, the Argonath in Lord of the Rings, the big... <laughs> The great big statues, you know, that's like you, you get this vision of, you know, the pa- passing through. And I don't know. I've seen um, photos. Did you have a straight sight line to the contemporary when you stood there? 
Like, could you see straight through it, or did you have to walk further into Tomorrowland to, to get that sideline? So what you saw were these two stark white buildings on either side. Remember, there was no people mover yet, right? People mover doesn't come for for a number of years. And in front of you was empty green space and then very soon a, a construction wall thereafter. So your, your the sight lines were not awesome. And once you got into Tomorrowland, there wasn't very much to see. Um, remember, all the things that we have now, even those buildings were not necessarily constructed yet. Yeah, definitely like a a lack of the kinetic energy that you get later on with Tomorrowland 94. Right. I didn't I, even the sort of the first real expansion of a building didn't happen until 1972 when if you had wings was added on to the America Beautiful building. And then right after I guess about 74, so really not long after the first few months of walking into Tomorrowland, it really was more of a construction site than it was a vision of the future because Star Jets, which was Rocket Tower Plaza, now um, Astro Orbiter, was being built. You um, That actually, now all of a sudden, it was your blocked view of the contemporary off in the distance. You had the Skyway buckets on sort of that, that left-hand side. And then Space Mountain and Carousel of Progress open uh, in 1975. So there's a lot of construction going on the entire time. But from literally from day one, it suffered that that problem and that issue of how do we showcase the future, especially one that is changing ever so quickly. It was a problem in 19... 19- 55 it was a problem in 1971 and it's a problem in 2022 yeah and i mean like we kind of touched on earlier i think that disney world has its own special problem compared to disneyland in that it was you know you get past the construction of space mountain and the the newness of that and the the forward thinkingness of the people mover edition in 75 and then now you're fighting the battle on two fronts of we're trying to develop future futuristic technologies and projects for Epcot. And we also have Tomorrowland over here. And so I think you get by for a while with Space Mountain and the people mover and things. But I mean, it's, it, you had, I think it was almost inevitable that eventually one of those two things or both were going to suffer because you can't just, you know, pick up an attraction from Disneyland and plop it in one. Now, what are you putting in the other? Right. And I think it wasn't until, and I haven't seen it with my own eyes yet, but I but I have seen enough to sort of understand. I don't think, Kendall, it was until 1992 that Disney sort of cracked the code of Tomorrowland. And you cracked the code of Tomorrowland by not calling it Tomorrowland. And when they built Discoveryland in Disneyland Paris, the solution they came up with for Tomorrowland was to make it the future that never was. So instead of sort of basing it as, as I think Walt did not want on sci-fi, you know, pulpy campy movies of the fifties, they instead based it on explorers and thinkers like Da Vinci and HG Wells and Jules Verne. They took some of the inspiration and unfortunately abandoned concepts for things like discovery Bay in Disneyland 
and created this futuristic-ish park that wouldn't be out of date because it was not trying to stay ahead of emerging technology. Yeah, the idea of these, um, you know, adventurers, explorers, scientists, future thinkers kind of outside of their time. It's like, it's kind of like I always tell my husband, I think Singing in the Rain is a perfect movie (laughs) because it was a movie that was made outside of its time. Like it, it was made in the 50s, but it references the 20s. And here with Discovery Land, they're referencing you know, things from centuries ago, but these were people who were forward thinkers, you know, technically sci-fi stories, but from a very literature, steampunk type perspective. And like you said, you know, did tomorrow, does Tomorrowland suffer because it's called Tomorrowland, which is kind of interesting, you know, Frontierland, like I mentioned earlier, is based on a film genre that hasn't been popular for half a century. But it doesn't suffer for that fact. And but Tomorrowland, you know, had it been called Spaceland, had it been called, you know, something else, would we think it it suffers as much as it does? So pivoting to this Discovery Land idea from that sense makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of curious from your perspective. I know neither one of us have been to Discovery Land in Disneyland Paris, but you have been to Mysterious Island. Do you think that people here in the U.S. would accept that kind of concept as a replacement? Or do you think there would be kind of an outcry like, well, Disneyland has Tomorrowland. Where's ours? Right. So that and that's part of the issue, right? Because if you want to make the Internet lose its marbles, tell them you're going to change something, including the name and theme of an entire land. Because all (laughs) of a sudden, the people that love, you know, I call it the ex-girlfriend effect. It's you don't sort of. When, the, when, when your girlfriend says she's leaving, like, no, 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 but I love you. You're perfect. Please don't go. We felt that way about, you know, Adventures Club. We felt that way about um, uh, Maelstrom in, in Norway. And just quickly touching back, you know, you mentioned Frontierland. Frontierland works because it it is not, while inspired in some, especially in Disneyland on on Davy Crockett and Tom Sawyer and things like that, it's it's also grounded in real world American history and Frontierland and Liberty Square is a journey through and forward through time and American history. So it it's locked in a sense of reality. And I think for Tomorrowland, I think in nineteen ninety-four, when Disney's like, all right, look, we need to take inspiration from what clearly seems to be working in Discovery Land and Disneyland Paris, I, I, for dis, for discussion's sake, I wonder if they did not take that inspiration literally, literal enough or far enough. Meaning, the 1994 transformation of and and retheming and really changing the story of Tomorrowland, of which the original 1971 version did not necessarily have. It did not have a cohesive, certainly clear theme or message of what this land was. You knew what Fantasyland was, right? You were stepping into the movies. You knew what Liberty Square and Frontierland were. You were looking through American history, just like Main Street USA. You didn't quite understand what was happening in Tomorrowland. So in 1994, excuse me, when they're saying, okay, well, we're not going to look at the future 
in terms of the real world, we are going to sort of instead go for a more whimsical, playful, yet still, I, I think almost in, in homage to Walt, an optimistic view of it. But if you sort of look at it on paper, in black and white, it is not exactly, and I'm not saying I don't live in a world where what Walt wanted had to sort of be the, the you know, the, the go-to Bible for everything going forward, but this idea that the 1994 New Tomorrowland was this headquarters for a League of Planets, and it very much was based in this 40s, 50s, pulpish, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, aliens, flying saucers, robots doing chores like the Jetsons, it just does sort of fly in the face of his original vision and intent for his, for when I say his, I mean the, the, the Disneyland tomorrow, which obviously was the inspiration for Walt Disney World's. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely a more, yeah, cheeky mm. version of tomorrow. And in, in prep for this podcast today, I went to my bookshelf and I pulled out the old Imagineering Field Guide to the Magic Kingdom. I have the first edition of that that Alex Wright wrote, which I highly recommend those to all listeners if you can get your hands on a copy. And he had a quote in there that I never thought about. And he was writing specifically about Tomorrowland 94. And he said, the implication, however subconscious, is that the world and the galaxy and the universe itself will become smaller and more accessible to us as our transportation systems advance. And I thought that was really interesting because that does make sense with what Walt wanted. If you if you set that quote next to what he wanted, that makes complete sense. Agreed. Also, if you sit that quote next to Tomorrowland 94, it also makes a lot of sense because so much of Tomorrowland 94 was about transportation. That was that was the one takeaway that was like, okay, in the future, are any of these things possible? You know, kind of like I think their tagline now that Tomorrowland is something like the future that never was is finally here or something like that. Like, you know, I think everyone wants to imagine that sometime in the future teleportation will be a real thing, you know, and that was the future they were selling. Right. And and I think it was meant to, excuse me, reflect the idea of a community like Main Street USA, like Frontierland, like Liberty Square, but one in this fanciful future where we are stepping foot into this land where a real working community is taking place and we are there to experience sort of the the day-to-day life of the people and the places and the spaces that are happening in this spaceport of the future. You're right, transportation has its handprint on almost everything you see, excuse me, in that land, but it's now mixed in and mingled with aliens and robots and the avenue of the planets and the little order of the little green beings and the galactic association of retired aliens and the sleepless nights of the Milky Way. All of these little and, and, and larger micro and macro details were meant to sell you on the idea 
that you are in this community, which is much larger than what you see within the four corners of Tomorrowland, because there is this sort of intergalactic spaceport, and all of the attractions that were there were now sort of given landmark-like monikers of what they actually were. So the People Mover was not a ride. It, it was the public transportation system. There was a blue line. If you listen to the old narration, there was a red line and the green line that took you to different locations like a subway system. Space Mountain was the spaceport. It still is. You can still see signage inside that talks about it being Spaceport 75. Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin was the law enforcement division of Tomorrowland. Carousel of Progress. Like, where does that fit in, Lou? It's a museum, right? It's a museum that's shoken. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Now I get it. That's why those scenes haven't changed very much over the last however many years because it is meant to be snapshots in time of the past and their their visions of what... 1986 VR goggles supposed to look like. Cosmic Rays is a nightclub. And if you listen to the dialogue of Cosmic Rays and the Space Angels, it very much is reflective of if you walk in with the mindset that you are in this sort of family-friendly nightclub, you're like, oh, I get it. They're not a performer at a a quick-service restaurant. This is supposed to be sort of the, the, the nighttime entertainment district of Tomorrowland, and the laugh floor is the it's a power plant, right? It's where all of the energy is coming from. So all of these attractions are not only cognizant of one another, but they're in the same continuity and multiverse. Yeah, I mean, if if Tomorrowland seventy one had a lack of story tomorrowland 94 has story on story on story and and i was just the right age for tomorrowland 94 like i mentioned earlier i have very little memories of what tomorrowland looked like before tomorrowland 94 but i remember walking in there and just being like this is a whole nother place like as a kid like especially when you walked in there at night you know, I have I have entered a spaceport. That's what it felt like. It felt like, you know, what's you know, what's going on over there? What's going on around the corner? You know, you felt like you might run into, uh, you know, someone dressed up like an alien. You might run in to push the trash can, you know, and and you're right. Like every single thing. I mean, if the Imagineers of the late 80s and early 90s were good at anything, it was crafting a deep story. I mean, you know, you have the whole Adam Merriweather pleasure storyline over at, at Pleasure Island. You know, you have the whole story of Pleasure Island, like, and and that's what it was here. I mean, like you mentioned, you have the you know the Robo Newsboy, and you have, you know, the Metropolitan or the Metropolis Science Center when it was Timekeeper. That you know you're you're in this place learning about the future of not just the community, but the literal galaxy. And it is, like I said, it is cheeky, but it was a very interesting concept. And if you were someone like me as a kid, I had no frame of reference of what it was before. I'd never been to Disneyland. Like this was kind of incredible. And And, I'm sorry. 
No, I was just going to say, looking back, like you look at how deep that story is and you can kind of almost see how this is a forerunner for places like Pandora and Galaxy's Edge. Absolutely. And it's a great way to sort of connect those dots because even late in 1994, when the clearly the very Eisner centric project of bringing in extraterrestrial alien encounter because they couldn't get the rights to things like aliens will make our own aliens the way you justify that existence in tomorrowland is by making that building now the tomorrowland interplanetary convention center and if you looked at the signage that was outside it showed you ads for upcoming community events and inside this convention center as if you were going to a, a conference, you know, now, there was a demonstration of the latest in teleport- teleportation technology from a company, from a real world company called XS Tech. Yeah, and I will, I will hand up admit, I never rode Alien Encounter <laughs> when it was there. Again, like, as I said, I was a young child, so the concept of that terrified me to death. And even (laughs) I now as an adult have watched it on YouTube and I'm like, it is a good thing I did not ride that. Like, that would have scarred me for life. It was scary. It (laughs) was scary. And it was actually made scarier by Eisner. Um, When it opened for previews in in mid-December, Michael Eisner wrote it and he's like, shut it down. They're like, what's wrong? He said, it's not intense enough. He really wanted it to be more intense, and it necessitated them putting a sign outside saying that not only was it very intense, but it wasn't necessarily intended for children under, I think, like 12, which made it feel sort of almost out of place in Walt Disney World. You're like, wait a minute. Disney doesn't have these kind of intense, scary attractions, but not to sort of go off base. We talked about the Disney decade in our conversations before. Eisner realized we needed something here to attract a specific demographic, which was boys between the ages of, you know, 14 and 25. Yeah. And I think you have to look at at that point in time and even to the end of the 90s. I mean, this is the ascendancy of Tomorrowland. Like whether you like this concept or not, Tomorrowland was hopping. I mean, by the time you get to e-ticket ride nights, most of those rides that were open for e-ticket ride nights back when you paid to stay late were in Tomorrowland. I mean, Alien Encounter was considered an e-ticket. The Timekeeper at that point in time was an e-ticket. Space Mountain was an e-ticket. The Astro Orbiter was an e-ticket. I mean, most of what was going on in those, what was considered the, the prime attractions of that park were happening in Tomorrowland. That concludes part one of our look at the past, present, and future of Tomorrowland. Please go to the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse to talk about what we discussed on this week's show and tune in next week for part two. Two thousand seven. I cannot believe that was fifteen years ago. Time flies, right? And even more so, I'm amazed that when I think that 15 years ago this week, I released the very first episode of the WDW radio show back on February 11th, 2007. I remember quite vividly what that week leading up to that day was like. Uh, I had 
quote unquote, retired from my original podcast, which was Mouse Tunes, which I had been doing weekly with my co-host since early 2005. And I was incredibly nervous, to be honest, about going off on my own and starting something new. And if you don't believe me, go back and at your own risk and listen to episode one or what I affectionately call six minutes of awkward because there was so much that I didn't know and also so much that I wanted to do, share, and provide to you. And I had no idea where this single episode would lead. And to say that 15 years later, it has gone way beyond my wildest dreams would be a massive understatement. And actually, as I was preparing for this, I went back and I listened to that original episode and I found myself happy, although a little bit weirded out because of how different I sound, but happy that I've hopefully continued with that original mission and message of making the show be not only for, but by, with, and about you. And without going too far down the oh-so-very-deep rabbit hole of what we collectively have been able to do with the show over the years, I started to think about the progression and the growth of everything, the show and the community, and more importantly, the family and community that you have built. You have created, and I mean this, this is not hyperbole when I say something very special in the WW Radio Clubhouse, although you'll always be part of the quote-unquote box people, and the events and the conversations and everything else that is part of WW Radio. And I sit here sort of reflecting and reminiscing back about the past 15 years with a huge smile on my face and maybe a little sentimental tear in my eye and about some of the favorite memories and moments that started to really flood in. And little did I know that an accidental list was forming. And so I present to you for your own reflection and input is my top 10, wait, top 15 moments in WW Radio history in no particular order. And as I'm writing the list, I'm going back because in typical Lou fashion, this is going way longer than I expected it to, but yet there's so much more that I wanted to say and things and people that unfortunately were omitted. So I will apologize in advance as I start the list. But number one for me was recording episode one, which like I said, when I say that it took way longer than it should have to prepare for and write and record, it like it literally took me more than six hours to record and edit those oh so very torturous six minutes i have since streamlined that process just a little bit but certainly i never could have imagined where that first show and i remember vividly like recording it and the fear that i had of publishing it i never could have imagined where it would lead number two virtually meeting and interviewing julie andrews and she obviously sort of gets called out separately because not only was she someone who was a part of my childhood and, and Disney experience. I literally watched Mary Poppins more times than I could remember as a child and as a parent and as a fan. And she was Julie, Dame Julie, Miss Andrews was even more gracious and charming and wonderful than I ever could have imagined. And forgive me if I've said this before, but it's that meaningful to me when she said, Oh, at the end of the show, as we were chatting at the end of the show, I literally squealed and squeed internally that like Mary Poppins just said my name and my heart leapt. And she was, she was significant, not just because of what she meant for me 
But, you know, of all the people that I've been so fortunate and, and blessed and, and grateful to talk to, I, I always felt that sort of she was like the one person, the first person that I interviewed that I felt like my parents and other people in my family who maybe were not super hardcore Disney fans would know and appreciate. Spoiler alert, my mom and dad totally did. They loved it. Always so supportive. Well, I'll get to that later. Uh, number three, and I, I will save the entire story, but and I don't mean this to sound like name, name dropping, but as a fan, these were huge for me. When Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel Studios, came to my booth at D23 Expo 2009, and I didn't know who he was, embarrassing as it was. Again, this is 2009. And when he told me that he was a listener and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, sort of, when he said, your show helped me get through the making of Iron Man, it is something that I cherish and will take with me forever. And that that single meeting has grown into something that, you know, I, I'm is a friendship. And really, when I always say to people, especially when they start off or, or, you know, have a podcast or a blog, a YouTube channel, whatever it is, you never know who's listening. That's that's not a, a, a warning or caution. It's you never know who might be listening. Number four, speaking of you never know who's listening to anyone who's ever said to me, your show helped me dot, dot, dot. Whether the rest of that sentence is get through something, have a better Disney experience, be inspired to do X, or just put a smile on my face, I thank you. I never, ever could have even begin to remotely fathom how talking about this place that I just love so much and makes me so happy could positively impact others, and I will just leave it at that. Thank you. If you've ever said that to me or even just felt it and never had that conversation with me. Number five, again, that's why I said these are in no particular order, the Dream Team Project. And when I was writing my first Walt Disney World trivia book back in 2003, uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and we were living in New Jersey at the time. And I drove him five times a week to Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York City for treatment for months. I don't even know how long it was. And while we were at the hospital, as we would walk to sort of where he was getting his treatment, we'd have to walk by the, the pediatric cancer ward. And I was saddened, incredibly saddened to see so many children who were there as patients. And so rather than donate money to cancer research, which obviously is a very necessary and worthy cause, I wanted to help a child right away, like immediately help them enjoy the benefits of my and what would eventually become our donations. And I promised myself, and I've stood by that promise, that I would take a portion of the proceeds from the sale of every book and things I've done beyond that and donate it to a wish-granting organization. And little did I know at that time that others would find similar inspiration as a result of that and that our Dream Team project would be born. And since then, we, collectively as a community, have raised more than $550,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America and granted, I don't know the number, so I'll say countless wishes for seriously ill children and their families to visit Walt Disney World, all expenses paid. And I want to give special thanks to everybody who is a member of the WW Radio Nation, everyone who is a member of the WW Radio running team, whether you run, walk, walk, jog, cheer, for all that you do, 
and for and with our collective cause and everybody who has participated in and contributed to our charity auctions and everything that is is part of this collective fundraising effort. Uh, The Dream Team Project remains the most important part of what I and what we do. So thank you. If you want to find out and learn more, you can visit dreamteamproject.org. You can also visit wdwrun.com or click on the link on the WW Radio page to find out more about the running team. Number six, and this might sound silly to you, but it is very important to me, is friendship. And growing up, I was not a popular kid in grammar school or high school or college or law school, like not by a long shot. Uh, In fact, I did not have a lot of friends growing up. I was not, still am not athletic. Uh, I never got picked for teams. And I knew quite often what it felt like to be left out. And it's not hyperbole to say that literally everything changed for me with the show and the community and the friends that I have been blessed to make along the way. And yes, that means and includes you, whether we have met yet or not, because my you are a friend, not a fan mantra isn't a line. It's not some shtick. It's always how I have felt and what I have believed and how I have acted. So thank you for the friendship that you have extended to me. Number seven is community, because speaking of friendship, when I launched WDW Radio, which was then DisneyWorldTrivia.com, and the discussion forums back in 2004, I wanted to really create a very warm, friendly place where anyone and everyone was welcome, equal, and part of something. And everyone, as long as you're a nice person, could belong to something. And from those 29 people that signed up to the forums that launch day back in early 2004 to everyone who was part of the WW Radio community and family, again, thank you. You have created and nurtured and grown this community and really built something special. Like I say it all the time and I mean it. Like I just built the clubhouse, but you populate it. And Going back to even 2007, like when I did my first WDW Radio Live video broadcast from my basement in New Jersey, which, quick aside, I thought would be like 10 minutes, nobody would show up. Six hours later, there we were still talking to now and the past so many years of going live every week from the parks and my home and cruises, events and overseas. The live remains of the most important and fun parts of what we do. Why? Because it's live and anything can and often does happen. But more importantly, it's because it's a conversation and it's not just a conversation between me and you, but you and each other. And it's dynamic and it's real time and it's unabashedly and unapologetically authentic. And most of all, it's fun that we can share together, no matter where you are or what you're doing. And for me, like... It made me feel like I finally found where I belong. And I hope that you feel the same way. I hope that you have found your home and your family and your community here as well. And if you are a member of the WW Radio Nation family, I cannot thank you enough for all that you do to help make WW Radio a reality, to literally keeping the lights on and your incredible friendship and generosity and care. I hope that you enjoy being part of the nation as much as I enjoy what we share together 
you are appreciated more than I can ever really express. Number eight, my first media event. And it's funny because it was never something that I aspired to or even thought of when I started. But when I began writing my first book back in 2003, all I wanted was access, right? I didn't want anything free. I just wanted access to correct and official information from the source, not just a random anonymous post from a Rec Arts Disney Parks Usenet news group, because yeah, I'm that old. This was pre-internet, because I remember literally and figuratively knocking on Disney's door just to try and gain access to data to ensure accuracy on my first trivia book. I was a lawyer, I was a researcher, the word Disney was in it, so obviously it had to be as accurate as, as possible. And I remember being told that if you weren't radio, TV, or newspaper, you, quote, weren't media. I have, have times have changed. But I continued to knock and create relationships and prove my integrity and intentions to Disney. And when the very unexpected moment came, when I received an invitation to my first real media event, I was stunned and I was grateful and I may have cried just a little bit and you're going to find that the crying is a recurring theme with me. I'm an emotional guy. But when I stepped on at the time, what was the blue carpet for the first time surrounded by quote unquote real big media outlets, it was this moment of validation and approval that I will never forget and with any and every invitation that I receive, I remain as grateful to Disney for their trust and confidence and the opportunity to be there. It is a true privilege and is one that I am always cognizant of and grateful for. And that actually leads directly into number nine, which is some of that external validation and recognition, which I am mentioning here because this is not about me. This is recognition for you. But in case you didn't know, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't check the numbers because I don't really care about the numbers. And what I mean by that is I, I don't necessarily care about the, the number of people who are listening to and downloading the show. That doesn't matter. It's the individual. It's you. It's the person that's listening that matters. I know that every download number means there's a real person that is giving me the most valuable commodity, which is their time. And I need you to know that that does not go unnoticed or unappreciated because I'm not worried about growing or vanity metrics. I'm just concerned about sharing good things with good people that I hope enjoy what I and we do. But over the years, there have been so many incredible examples of recognition and praise from outside the community. And for each and every one, I'm grateful to them. Um, and more importantly, again, to you, because none of this would have happened without you. Any any of these notable recognitions is because of what you have helped build in terms of community and family. And from that very first time I ever gave an interview or was I was asked to speak on stage or the show was mentioned in an article or was asked to a to go on TV, like in the awards and the accolades that the show has received, they are thanks to you. And I will not mention them here, but I want you to know how much I appreciate what you have accomplished. Um, anything of everything that has happened for me and for WD Radio is thanks to you. Number 10, I, I, I mentioned this person by name again because of what it means to me personally even beyond the show, 
but Richard M. Sherman. And I remember, I'm using air quotes, tracking down Mr. Sherman, uh, Richard, back in 2008. Again, this is pre, like, Disney bringing these legends out on stage and them being sort of in the the front-facing social media and online, etc. And I was literally shaking as I called the number that I found for him. But I was instantly put at ease and ended up speaking to his wife for like 45 minutes. And then when I spoke to him, she's the nicest lady in the world. When I spoke to him the following week, he sincerely and humbly asks me, he goes, are you sure you want to interview me? And I'm like, yeah, do you not know? But Richard is is that kind of a person. And so much more than an incredibly special guest going back to show 80 and then multiple times after Richard and his wife, like we've become friends and I will never forget back in 2012, um, inviting him on our WW radio cruise on the Disney dream as our very, very, very special guest and the private concert he put on just for us. Wow. Um, but there's a personal memory that I will never forget. And, and I want to share with you because during dinner one night, um, he asks if he and his wife, he's sitting at our table, and he asks if, if he and his wife could take our kids to the show in the Walt Disney Theater. I said, of course. And I begin to to put my napkin on the table and stand up to join him. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, no, you enjoy the rest of your dinner because my wife and I want to take your kids. Now, mind you, I'm freaked out because I was, was, am, were, so like super protective of my kids. And I had... And I still have to this day, 10 years later, this incredibly vivid vision stuck in my mind's eye of Richard Sherman, Richard, the Richard M. Sherman and his wife holding, walking away from the table, holding my children's hands like loving grandparents to walk them into the theater. I'm still getting choked up to walk them into the theater to watch a performance of songs that he and his brother composed. Like I'm literally I'm I'm choked up and I feel my eyes welling up as as I talk about this. I told you I'm a crier uh, and I won't even get into the, where he sang happy birthday to my daughter later on during the cruise. But again, none of these opportunities, none of these memories happen without you. And that's number 11 are the opportunities, because if I was still a lawyer in New Jersey, again, thank you for changing my life. I never would have been able to do and see and eat a fraction of what I have been so fortunate and blessed to experience. And I am, I need you to know that I am very hyper aware and am grateful for these moments and these memories, whether it is something in a park, an event, a travel, an encounter, any of it and all of it. Like I couldn't even come close to listing so many of the things that remain so firmly stuck in my mind and my heart Anything and everything that I have been able to do is because of and thanks to you. And I am grateful beyond words for the life you have given me. And I hope that by being able to share and do so much of it with you, it has brought you a similar amount of joy as well. That leads to number 12, our WW Radio group events. Because speaking of things that we've done, and yes, nothing still beats a handshake and a hug. That has more meaning now than ever. From the very first meet of the month in January 2008, which, by the way, I was petrified to do, I thought nobody would come, and I would have been, like, 
crazy happy if just one person showed up. But little did I know it would not only be the first of countless meets of the month and meetups in the parks and world and land and overseas, but group events like Twilight at the Tower are after hours renting out of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror for dinner and a few surprises. The American Adventurers Club, dinner in the great movie ride, our e-ticket weekends, the 40-hour live show, what was I thinking? The in-park scavenger hunts and quests, again, I'm sorry about Toontown, the anniversary events, the cabins, the adventures by Disney, backstage magic, China, Japan, the cruises from New Orleans, the double dip, Sherman, Alaska, twice, Ridley Pearson, Star Wars, Neverland at Sea, Marvel Day at Sea, so many our Walt Disney Family Museum trip, every D23 Expo with the squishy carpet, the on the road events, and so much more, and more to come. I'm looking at the whiteboard with ideas, and I smile. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That leads me to number 13. And Becky Mankin and Mouse Fan Travel? Because, yeah, none of this would be possible without help. And because I am always nothing but honest with you, I'm really, really bad at asking for help. And if you know me, you're probably shaking your head in acknowledgement. But again, none of this would be possible without the help and the support of Mouse Fan Travel and its royal founder and chief magic maker, Becky Mankin. And from the time we first met, I, I literally felt something in her about not just the way that she does business, but more importantly, the way she treats and appreciates people and our understanding of what was really important and why. And from day one, Mouse Fan Travel was never an advertiser or a sponsor. From the very beginning, we were partners, and we were partners that shared a unified vision of not just what we wanted to do together, but doing things the right way in every sense of the word. And not only do I place my implicit trust in her, but her entire team of incredible travel advisors, many of whom are part of our WW Radio community, And beyond what they can do, not only saving money, but sometimes making some real magic happen, they treat people as if they're family, because you are. And Becky has gone from partner to mildly awkward at first, go back and listen to her first episode guest, to traveling buddy and most of of all, um, part of my and hopefully your extended family. Number 14, every single guest. Um, I have never, ever done a solo show, and the first one doesn't count, plus you can see why I want and need a guest every week. Nobody wants to hear me monologue, but the show has always been more than interviews with cast members or imagineers or celebrities or authors and experts. In fact, most of the shows have been a product of exactly what I said from episode one. They aren't just for you, but with you. Because most of the segments, both recurring and and one-off individual ones, are by and with somebody from the WW Radio community, friends I've met and made along the way, and everyday ordinary people just like me who just love the parks and the movies and shows and, you know, the Disney way. And I wish I could list and thank everybody who has ever been a guest on the nearly 1,000 shows going back to Mouse Tunes and some of the live shows that were bonus podcast episodes way back when, but it is an unfortunate impossibility. But please know that I am profoundly grateful to every person who has ever joined me on a show. I, I literally could not have done any of this without you. And 
easy segue, um, speaking of that, to the final entry on my list is my family. And this goes without saying, but it cannot go without saying. And by family, you know I mean and include you, but it also goes to my parents who always believed in me from their very first days until their last. Um, I was blessed to have parents who supported me unwaveringly and wholeheartedly. And I will save the rest of my sentiments um, for my internal conversations and prayers to them. But suffice it to say, as the as the, the line goes, I, I wouldn't have nothing if I didn't have you. Um, although I bet that they never thought when they took me to Walt Disney World in November of 1971 where this would all lead. Um, just like my wife thought she was marrying a lawyer in New Jersey. Surprise! Um, we often think we have a plan for our future but then we never know where life is going to take us. Um, it has been an adventure, to say the least. And from the moment I said to her, you know, I think I'm going to write a book. And she replied, great, because all you know about is Walt Disney World. Uh, she has always remained my biggest supporter, partner, friend, and cheerleader. And like Mr. Toad, it has very much been a wild ride full of twists and turns. But it is a, a fun adventure, to say the least. And... My children, my kids, um, who aren't really little kids anymore. Yes, it's tear time once again. Um, from the moment my daughter was born, on Mickey Mouse's birthday, which, by the way, took a lot of foresight and planning, everything changed. Um, and I, I will spare you the tedium of me gushing over my daughter and son, but everything I do, I do for them. Um, my life took on different meaning when they came into it. And we have been able to share incredible memories. Once again, thanks to you. And if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've literally heard them grow up on the show. From early dining reviews to recaps and, and top tens. And I am so fortunate and, and grateful and blessed to be able to have chronicled their maturation in audio form. Like instead of just drawings on the refrigerator or, or photos from school, I have years of their words and their laughter and their voices to listen back to. And hopefully their children will as well. Yes, tears. Again, they are my life. They are my why. And they are the greatest gift from God. And, and I am thankful for them and to them for taking this wild ride together with me. Enough said. Um, but as you can see, hopefully, if you're still here, um, these memories are not about me. They're about you. And I know I'm a broken record, but I need you to know that none of this would have been nor would continue to be possible without you and your friendship and your love and your support and encouragement and kind words and messages and inviting and welcoming others into our family. The list of what you do and why it is special goes on and on and on. And whether you have listened since 2005, whew, that's a lot of Lou, or you just found the show and community, please accept my sincerest thanks and virtual hug. And I hope you know just how much you mean to me, whether we've met yet or not. And admittedly, these have all been very personal, very subjective moments and memories, but I do want to know, as I always do, like, what is one or more of your favorite memories from WW Radio? An episode, a guest, a live show, a quote, event, a meet, a cruise, anything you like. 
And even better yet, you know what? You can finish this sentence. Because I'd be really curious to hear how you finish the sentence. Because of WW Radio, I have dot, dot, dot. Finish that sentence. You can let me know, and I'll post these in the WW Radio Clubhouse, or you can call the WW Radio voicemail. I'll play it on the air at 407 900 9391. That's 407 900 9391. Your favorite memory or memories, and then finish the sentence. Because of WW Radio, I have dot, dot, dot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here is to the future. Here is to hopefully 15 more years. I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge about Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details what you see, hear, taste, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And I mean that because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WW Radio to life every live broadcast from the parks, the contests, giveaways, they're all thanks to, by, for, with, and about you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month and get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, group video calls every single month, access to our private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages, and much more. And of course, your completely optional contribution to the nation helps our Dream Team project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. I want to thank some new members of the nation, including Kelly Woodard, Patrick King, and family, Philip Cresta, Suzanne Gibson, and Michaela Kraft. Again, to find out how you can help the show, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I asked you to tell me, where in Walt Disney World could you hear this line? And I'll do a really, really bad impression. Uh, uh, all right, everyone, stay on your number and move your arms a bit. Uh, okay, start scan. It's really important to get those like awkward ums and pauses in there because you know that is your pre-flight checklist guy in Flight of Passage in Disney's Animal Kingdom. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio pin and keychain available exclusively as trivia contest prizes as well as a mystery bonus surprise prize and last week's winner randomly selected is kylie penning so kylie congratulations i will get your prize package out to you right away if you played last week and didn't win don't sweat it because here's your next chance to enter in this week's walt disney world trivia challenge this one is short sweet maybe easy maybe a little bit challenging but tell me in walt disney world who or what is big bertha Who or what is Big Bertha? You have until Sunday, February 20th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, this week, you're going to play for the pin, the keychain, and a bonus mystery prize. So good luck and have fun.
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Listen every week for the past 15 plus years. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to those new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. I sincerely appreciate your love and support and help, and I love being able to give back to you each and every month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like Tyler Lamberth, Elizabeth Griffiths, Philip Cresta, Tony Irvin, and my buddy Andrew Prince. If you want to find out how you can help the show and get exclusive rewards, visit www.radio.com support. Please come be part of the community and conversation. Talk about this week's show and anything in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe in the WW Radio Clubhouse on Facebook at www.radio.com clubhouse. You connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com, or call the voicemail with a question, a comment, or just hello from the parks at 407-900-9391. Please don't forget to join me this and every Wednesday for WW Radio Live as we walk and talk from the parks or conversations at home where we share my top five live, our Disney Plus pick of the week, your questions, contests, call-ins, and more. That is 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. Come join our spoiler support group. Talk about anything spoiler-ish, and there's a lot to talk about, not just from Book of Boba Fett, but with the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness and Moon Knight trailer, as well as Obi-Wan Kenobi and everything else that's happening in the spoiler-ish world. You can visit that by going to www.radio.com slash spoilers. And of course, I mean it when I say that nothing continues to beat a handshake and a hug. Stay tuned for our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World coming soon probably going to be over Princess Marathon week in a couple of weekends thank you to everybody who was part of our Marvel Day at Sea cruise from Miami it was amazing we will have a full recap and discussion of that coming soon if you want to join us on our inaugural cruise on the Disney Wish and you couldn't make June 20 that's okay because it got pushed back so our new date for the inaugural is now going to be August 1st 2022 and we do actually have some availability on that cruise as well as our very merry time cruise on the disney wish on december 5th and our disney fantasy eight night bahama and overnight in bermuda cruise in april 2023 to find out more visit wdwradio.com slash events or contact your mouse fan travel advisor or go to mousefantravel.com for a free no obligation quote thank you again becky mankin and the entire team for all that you do. And as I said during this segment earlier, I am so thankful for the opportunities and life that you've given me. And I want to try and help you. I want to return that gift and help you either individually or your business, your event or school. There's a lot of different ways I might be able to do that through speaking, coaching, mastermind groups, special events and more to find out everything that I have going on and how I might be able to work to help you visit lumangelo.com. And finally, my friend, and you, God, you are my friend. I promise you that whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, the best thing that you can do is please help spread the word. How? By literally telling a friend about the show, inviting them to subscribe, sharing a link if you can to this or your favorite episode or the site over on social. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds 
to rate and review the show. You can now leave a quick rating over in Spotify. Very much appreciated. Or if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating review there. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Fireman X, whose name I know from years and years ago, who says Lou epitomizes the magic Walt was attempting to create well-produced and arguably the most knowledgeable, thank you, wow, in the Disney podcast community, I don't read these ahead of time, has been a listener since the previous podcast. It's why I know you, brother. Caution, don't listen hungry. Hunker down with snacks and enjoy the magic. Fireman X, uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much for doing that. Again, just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing this show. For hopefully always remembering to choose the good, to find the good in everything and everyone that you encounter. Because if you spread positivity, I promise you that positivity will spread and you will feel better as a result as well. If there's ever anything that I can do for you to show my appreciation, please let me know. Um, thank you again for listening. I hope to see you on the live show next week. Until then, I hope that this is your best week ever. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, it's Adam from Salt Lake. Just calling you from the boathouse. I love the mahi sandwich. It's really good. Thank you for always suggesting it in the podcast. Uh, we also had some clam strips, and their mac and cheese is also really, really good. So just wanted to say hi, and thanks for always suggesting the boathouse, and we'll see you later. Hey Lou, it's Adam from Salt Lake City again, day two of our trip to Disney World. My family and I just got out of the Monsters, Inc. last floor, and I know you said that you've never managed to be that guy, but today my dad, who was just down the road from me a little bit, actually was that guy. So, just wanted to let you know that that was going on and that we're having a good time and hope that you and everybody you're with is having a fun time on the cruise hope to see you soon bye